I'll be starting this out with a solemn pause to demonstrate how seriously you should all be taking me. Holding this Bible. Brothers and sisters, beloved congregation of John Calvin. This afternoon, I've been led to expose the blasphemous and presumptuous nature of my own occupation. As it is for many preacher men, it seems a mystery how I found myself on this pulpit. Most of you believe that I'm preaching to you the Word of God that's led by His Holy Spirit. Some of you may even have witnessed my ceremonial ordination. Of course, all that's just nonsense. This afternoon, I'd like to preach to you the gospel according to my own carnal experience. I'd like to demonstrate my virtue through the lens of the following four points, which I've cleverly crammed into an alliterative box. We'll start with piety and preachiness. Move on to presumption and pride. And then the practice and patronization. And most importantly, pompous pig manure. I'm going to structure this sermon around a cute story that summarizes the course of my life because nothing, after all, is more depressing than your congregants falling asleep in the first five minutes. The ability to recite a seemingly impactful anecdote has lengthened the effective ministry of many a preacher man. After the preaching of my word, We'll open our psalm books to an officially approved of song because as we all know, man's bureaucracy and stamp of approval is essential to praising God. It was years ago when I was a young boy that my calling as a preacher man began to materialize. It all started when I was in grade school I saw how many of my fellow students didn't keep the rules and often disobeyed the teachers. Now that was the first time I realized I was better than other people. I mean, everywhere I looked, I saw people being just bad. And realized since I wasn't doing any of those things, I was actually better than them. But to my dismay, those children, they seemed freer than me. And I resented them for it. They seemed happy. And not one of them seemed to recognize my moral superiority. It was then that I knew the only way to really capitalize on my goodness was to be preachy. So I began spending a great deal of time telling others they were wrong while simultaneously glorifying my own virtue. But again, I was dismayed. They mocked me for being a goody-good 
and there was no reverence for my authority. Now, many successful men in this world know and have testified to the fact that you have to fake it till you make it. Now, truer words have never been spoken, I assure you. I knew I had to take matters into my own hands. Something had to be done. And that's when that moment came. It was time for me to presume that I was to be called a pastor. If I was to be treated as the moral superiority that I was, I needed an official title that was beyond questioning. I knew I was called of God in that moment. Of course, if you read in the scriptures, you'll find many examples of prophets and priests and kings who chose their own calling. That's the only way. And if you can't find any of those examples in the scriptures, it's likely because you shouldn't be questioning somebody who's gone to seminary. I don't know of a single prophet or disciple who didn't take pride in having gone to school for at least seven years. I mean, who doesn't like the look of their name on the morning liturgy sheet with the word reverend written in front of it. With seven years of indoctrination and confidence-building exercises under my belt, it was time to put my skills into practice. And talking into the mirror, it's no replacement for putting on airs in front of a real-life congregation. It was nerve-wracking at first, since I was serving in a ministry of my own invention, and I lacked any of the confidence and boldness that the Lord gives to his true, reverend, his true messengers, but I soon overcame this obstacle. I realized that the key to having superiority over my congregation was to overuse phrases like, of course, and as you all know, especially when referring to esoteric theological minutiae. That way they felt like they should know the things that I already did know. And by acting like these useless points of doctrine were universally understood when they weren't, I successfully and immediately established reverence of my knowledge in good and evil over all the congregation. Patronizing the congregants has easily been the most powerful device in my manipulative tool belt. Now, Naturally, there's always been guilt trips in the occasional too-close-for-comfort sermon, but those are the obvious mainstays of the modern preacher man. Brothers and sisters, what I mean to tell you this afternoon is that my self-ordained ministry is bullshit. But then I realized I couldn't make that claim in good conscience. After all, Bullshit comes from a clean animal, and it can be used to heal the land. Rather, my ministry is pig manure. The eventual filthy parasitic dung expelled from a creature who will all too enthusiastically eat the dung and decaying remnants of other unclean animals, like John Calvin, for example. Now this is the point in the sermon where I'm supposed to mechanically recite a traditional benediction over all of you. You know, with my hands up in the air like this, but since I'm sure you're all just itching to get the hell out of here and drink the crappy coffee in the foyer, 
I'll just skip it because none of you care anyway. But as you head out this week, just remember the basics. Remember the bad news of the gospel. Salvation is for the elite. Everybody else can burn in hell. <laughs>